It was almost real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 30. Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zerman Jr. and this is the podcast Daddy. dedicated to professional wrestling history Daddy. from 1870 to 1920. Daddy. And you might already Daddy. be hearing for our 30th episode, we not only have Dangerous Dan Zimmerman, the grandson of one half of the Dangerous Dewey's Dames from Delta, former <laughs> world women's tag team champions. A lot of D's there. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot of D's. <laughs> we also have the great-grandson, the prodigal son has returned. And our special guest for episode 30 is my youngest grandson, Connor. Can you say hi, Connor? Say hi. <laughs> yeah. He knows how to say daddy, though. Yep. <laughs> All right, so why don't you watch Little Einstein's on Papa's phone? No. All right. So we're going to wing this episode, too, like we wing most episodes. So for the update, I'm about a week out from starting the new project. I'm just doing some blog posts and also working on the uh, St. Louis history book. And then... Uh, after that, I'll get back on the new wrestling project. So, for this actual episode, we are going to talk about a match that is on YouTube for all of 17 seconds. And that is the Danilo Mahoney and Dick Schickett match from New York, uh, Madison Square Garden on March 2nd, 1936. And then we'll also end the show with a review of Gunther versus the uh, Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre from the past SummerSlam. However, um, and this will pertain to Caleb because we'll review this probably for the next show or the show after. Okay. Um, Dan, why don't you talk about that documentary you just watched that you were talking to me about? Uh, Three hundred fifty days. Oh, Three hundred fifty days. It's uh, it's an older it's an older documentary. Still has superstar Billy Graham in it. Uh, junkyard Dog. Uh, basically, it's these uh, older wrestlers saying how tough it is to be a wrestler. Uh, you're on the road 350 days a year. You're constantly, you know, sleeping in hotels. You're missing your family growing up. It was like one of them, and I can't remember which one it said, but he's like, you know, I missed my kids' first steps. I missed my kids' first days of school. I missed birthdays, missed anniversaries, all to put food on the table. But it was a necessary evil that they had to do. So I think that would be worthwhile looking at. It's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, so if we don't do it for the next show, we'll do it for the show after. So we're going to let you peek behind the curtain a little bit today. We're actually recording four episodes in a row because we've all got some things coming up in September we need to take care of. Um, but we'll be back to you know recording every couple weeks in October. But we're going to kind of batch produce these next few weeks of episodes so with that through the magic of podcasting we're actually going to pause for watch this sec 17 second Daddy. match and when we come back we're going to talk about it
And we're back. So this match took place on March 2nd, 1936, but to set up how we get to this point, we need to go back a few years before that when Dick Schickett was supposed to win the World Heavyweight Championship from Ed Strangler Lewis. And I believe they was supposed to drop the title and to Schickett in 1931 or 32. So Schickett had actually put down a $12,000 deposit because whenever you were going to be the champion, you had to put down a deposit that you would lose when it was time for you to lose. At the time, wrestling was controlled by a trust, which was just a group of promoters. So you had Tom Pax in St. Louis, Jack Curley in New York, Paul Bowser in Boston, and these guys were always constantly falling out with each other. But in uh, 31 or 32, Schickett puts up $12,000 and is going to uh, get a shot and a chance to be world champion. But the trust decides he's kind of a bland wrestler and they don't think he'll draw that much money. So Lewis drops the title to another person. Well, that really ticks off Schickett. And the next time Lewis and Schickett are in the same space, they end up getting in a fist fight instead of a wrestling match. Uh, and it takes place in a hotel room. Schickett punches Lewis. Lewis punches Schickett. And it probably would have just ended there, but Joseph Tutsmont, who was Lewis's longtime training partner and also now at this point in time a booking agent and a promoter, decides that he is going to uh, get involved and pummels Schickett from behind. Beats him up pretty good. Um, you know, sucker punches him and beats him down pretty badly. And so Schickett, from this time on, nurses a grudge against Lewis, Mont, and Mont is part of this trust that is behind Omahoney in 1936. So he could but, kiss his $12,000 goodbye, basically. Well, I think he did eventually get that back, hmm. but... He nursed a grudge over the fact that he didn't get a shot at the or he didn't get his chance to be world champion. Yeah, and that Mont had sucker punched him and beat him up pretty badly. Oh yeah. So he was nursing a grudge for a while, but we're not ready to get there yet. We're still back in a few years before this. So around thirty-three or thirty-four, Paul Bowser, because he's the promoter in Boston. Boston has a very large Irish population both then and now. Oh yes. And so he wants to get an ethnic champion that will really draw in the Irish fans. So he goes to Ireland with the, or he sends someone to Ireland with the intent of learning Patrick Callahan who had just competed in the Olympics for Ireland in 1932 to come and be a professional wrestler. Well Callahan turns him down but he recommends Dano O'Mahony, who's a shot-putting champion in the Irish Free Army and is built very well for this day. You're talking about before steroids. Right. He was about six foot tall, 208 pounds, very good-looking guy. So they get a look at him. The guy tells Bowser, this guy looks great. You know, if we can teach him just to wrestle a little bit, he'll be a big box office star. Right. So they bring O'Mahony back to the States. They train him for about six months where he can get out and incredibly work a match. He, he cannot wrestle to save his life. Ah. So, and this is what normally led to the double crosses 
it was always promoters' greed, mm-hmm. the the opportunity to make big money, mm-hmm. and uh, their belief that they could inspire more loyalty in the wrestlers than they could. Right. Going all the way back to Big Wayne Munn, who was the reason the Goldust Trio broke up, Sandow thought that he could trust guys and he would only put Munn, who couldn't wrestle a lick either, in with guys who weren't going to double-cross him. And he put him in with Zabisco, who had already lost to Munn, but then double-crossed him in Philadelphia when the, the time was right. As we'll find out, this was a really dumb move to put O'Mahony in the ring with Schick at, for mm-hmm. reasons that I'll get into a little bit. But O'Mahony is a big box office star, and mm-hmm. Bowser books him as an unbeaten wrestler for like almost 18 months. Oh, wow. So he doesn't lose. He's dominating. They put the world champion on him. And a matter of fact, at that time, the world championship was divided amongst a couple of people, and Bowser paid all of them to drop the title to O'Mahony, mm-hmm. and they all went along with it because he was drawing so much money in the Northeast. Yeah, Bowser was able to pay Mont mm-hmm. and Londis's faction, which was normally led by Tom Pax and all them, right. big right. money to drop the title to O'Mahony and let him run with the title. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, very big, um, popular Irish, yes. Irish neighborhoods up there. Irish, and he was booked uh, so strong in Boston mm-hmm. that he started drawing great all over the Northeast, oh, okay. New York. You know, because Boston yeah. is not that far away. Uh-huh. They heard about his great reputation. He he does fantastic. Yeah. So now enter into all of this, Dick Schickett. Mm-hmm. Shickett is still mad over not getting the world title. He's still hot at Mont, who's part of the trust. Yeah. And he doesn't personally like Dan O'Mahony. Oh, okay. And he displays this dislike for Dan O'Mahony <laughs> twice before this match in Madison Square Garden. Oh, wow. Okay. What did so you- in 1935, nine months before they have this title match. Uh huh. They're wrestling, and he kicks O'Mahony's down on all fours, and Shickett stands up, and soccer kicks him in the side so hard, it breaks several of his ribs, and the referee disqualifies Shickett. This was a world title match. Right. He didn't really go into business for himself in that match, because he didn't try to win it. Mm -hmm. He just soccer kicked him and broke his ribs. After his ribs healed, they have a rematch, but the rematch is a non-title match. And in the non-title rematch, Shickett is roughing up O'Mahony so bad, O'Mahony has to punch him to get disqualified mm-hmm. to end the match. To, to keep from getting so, Right. So now this is twice that Shickett has gone off uh, the plan. He was told to do one thing. He's done something else. I think he was supposed to put O'Mahony over clean when he soccer kicked him in the side. Oh. And then... In the non-title match, I think he was supposed to win to set up this Madison Square Garden match, mm. but he's beating him around so bad, and <laughs> Mahoney punches him so he can get out of the ring quit getting beat up. Yeah. Despite both of these incidents, Paul Bowser is convinced he can tr- he can trust Shickett to drop the fall in this and books him 
with O'Mahony and Madison Square Garden. No. Was he a, was he a mentally deficient? <laughs> you know, he's one of the shrewdest operators uh-huh. in the history of wrestling in reality. But you know this guy's already went off script twice. Yes. How do you trust him? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, Zabisco suckered him perfectly. Uh-huh. He he lost clean to Munn a couple of times before he got him in Philadelphia. Yeah. Shickett's not going along with any of this. And they're still like, no, we can trust Dick. Right. <laughs> He'll do the right thing. So they get in there and almost from the beginning. And, I mean, there's a 17-second clip of this 14-minute match mm-hmm. on YouTube, which we just looked at. And you could see right away something's not right. First, Shickett goes along with it and lets him put a move on him. But then Shickett... In a very amateurish manner. If Shickett was in there with a real shooter or hooker, he would not have taken O'Mahony to the ground like that. But if you look at it, right. he kind of jumps along his back, kind of grabs him and twists him. Mm-hmm. It's very amateurish. There's not a whole lot of technique there. And a good wrestler would not have been taken down by that. But because, again, O'Mahony, he's only a performer. He can't right. wrestle to save his life. Oh, and you might want to let our fans know that the uh, commentary is in Spanish. Oh, I, I think that was Japanese. But, well, Japanese, but, but it's, I don't it's, speak either. Right, right. So. There's a big jump between those two languages. <laughs> Whatever it's in, it's not in English, but it's only 17 seconds. Right. So you should be able to make out what's going on. And they show the finish of the match, actually. Now, I had always read the account that it was a hammerlock. That definitely was not a hammerlock. No, that was not a hammerlock. Because you can't be flat on your back and have your shoulder injured from a hammerlock. Right. It almost looked like a bent arm lock or a Kimura, but you can't get that from that position either. Right. Really, you you normally get that if you step over the head and twist on it. Yeah. And unless he did that beforehand and we didn't see it, he wasn't doing that either. No. And his arm was not in the right angle that his arm was at, mm-hmm. that he was injured. Right. So now Shickett gets this title that he's wanted so badly, but now he about has a nervous breakdown in the ring because he realizes, I've just shot on this guy, I've just taken the world title, and I've just betrayed the wrestling trust. These guys are not good guys. Are they going to have me killed? Well, I was going to say, are, is there, is there, are they ties to the mafia in this, or you know? I don't know that they ever had ties to the mafia. I wouldn't Ooh, doubt that they knew people. Right, they knew people. <laughs> Maybe betting rings, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's definitely betting still going on mm-hmm. at this time. That's one of the yeah. ugly things about pro wrestling is when it went to being worked. Most it was almost completely worked after 1950. There's <clears throat> a few contests here and there, but and mm-hmm. after the twenties, it's all double crosses if it's a contest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were still betting on the outcomes man- and manipulating those outcomes to maximize their yeah. betting wins. That was the other way they won money. So there was that gambling uh, aspect of it as well. So Shicken decides. Sorry about that. That he's going to sell the belt to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. He does drop the belt um, to another rival promoter. And then he starts getting suspended 
throughout the country uh-huh. because Bowser has his contract as his booking agent. Ah, I got you. And they start booking him all over the country, so they're going to book him in Kansas City and Baltimore, Maryland on the same night. Oh. Whichever one he shows up in, he'll be suspended in the other. Gotcha. This is un- what I understand was a pretty common tactic in uh-huh. the 30s and stuff for people that when somebody got out of line. Yeah. Heck, I think they were doing it up into the 60s. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's, I mean, you know, well, back in the territory days, I guess they didn't have to worry too terrible much about it. But, yeah. you know. Yep. So, um, and this actually all ends up going to court. Mm-hmm. And it really exposed, it's one of the bigger exposés of the business. And there were plenty. People talk about the Jack Pfeffer one, which we'll talk about here um, in an upcoming episode. I think that that expose did kill wrestling in New York for a while, mm-hmm. but really nowhere else. Right. And he exposed wrestling um, before this match with Shickett and O'Mahony mm-hmm. in New York that drew big money. Gotcha. But it, it supposedly his expose did affect the crowds in New York at least for a while. Mm-hmm. But that those exposés played throughout the country yeah, and it did not affect business that much. Gotcha. Um, so there were always exposés and it did hurt business but it didn't kill business at, like you hear all the time. Right. Because fans still wanted to believe. I mean how many times did we hear growing up it's all fake crap. It's all fake crap. Well, we knew when that. You, yeah, but when you want to enjoy it, you just suspend that for a while. Well, yeah, and enjoy it. It's like going to a, uh, you know, an adult club. It's all fantasy. Well, I wouldn't have used that reference. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you know, to each I mean, their own. Uh, yeah. Well, and you guys don't know what the outcome is going to be, so it's still something to watch. Right. I exactly. mean, it's now. I have to admit, I quit being a wrestling fan in the Mm mid-2000s. I've actually watched more over the last couple years because, one, in doing the podcast, I don't think most of the people that listen to our podcast Mm -hmm. are fans of modern wrestling. Most of the people that have reached out to me quit watching wrestling like I did. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I know exactly when it was. I never let you guys, if you remember, I didn't let you guys watch it. No, except for the boogeyman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you tortured Katie with that. <laughs> yeah, I did With the worms that. hanging out of his mouth. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, she hated that. You told her you recorded High School Musical for yeah. her. I and that was his intro. <laughs> I said, hey, I, I didn't want you to miss High School Musical the other day, so I recorded for you. She said, oh, okay. thanks, Dad. She did it. it was the boogeyman with the worms hanging out of the Oh, yeah. But I didn't let them watch um, as soon as the Attitude Era started. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to think the misogyny and the, the violence towards women was okay. Right. And, you know. Oh, and God, it was horrible in WWF yep. at that and, time. And I know when I really, I, I, you know, I'm starting to wonder how long the crazy old man's been crazy. Oh, yeah. Because he's been ahead of creative the whole time. Mm-hmm. And there was this segment, you could probably look it up on YouTube, mm-hmm. but it was the Katie Vick segment where Triple H was feuding with Kane mm-hmm. and I was like oh that's the, the most tasteless in the coffin yeah, the, yeah one of the most tasteless things I've ever seen Ugh. on WWE on wrestling and they've gone out of their way to do very tasteless things for the last 20 plus years to mm. try to run off as many wrestling fans as humanly possible but yeah. on the rebroadcast of their uh, premium live events and shows 
they won't show somebody taking a shot to the head with a chair. Yeah. But they'll show them have sex with a corpse in a cop. That's right. just ridiculous. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It well, was, well, I it mean, was horrible. <laughs> they were alluded to it, but it was disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it was just as, as bad as it could possibly Tasteless, mm-hmm. beyond tasteless. That sounds yeah. like prime 2000 shock. So now yeah. you know why yeah. you weren't watching it. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, I rediscovered MMA in 2005. It's fun. And um, I really became an MMA fan. And I've started watching back a little bit, but like the last pay-per-view. Um, and I was going to make a reference for you that I think you'll understand completely because being a big oh, yeah. Office fan. Uh-huh. Um, but so I watched uh, the end of Ricochet versus um, Logan Paul. And oh, didn't sorry. have any. I didn't have any intention of watching that match. It was no. just they went down to play video games, so oh. I just put it on. A Doesn't really like a lot of people in the in the dressing room and stuff. Do you think this is going to uh, lead to maybe uh, uh, Brock going back to part time or just as probably? A- but I will tell you something I heard on Jim Cordon. I have no reason to doubt it. Mm-hmm. That was not part of the storyline. Brock did that on his own. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but I really think that shine Cody. Yeah. A lot too. Oh yeah, it, it absolutely did. Yeah. Um. So, but the match we wanted you to watch was mm-hmm. actually uh, Drew McIntyre yeah. versus uh, Gunther because that match would hold up in any era of wrestling. Oh, it was it was terrific. It was hard hitting. Now, the floor stuff they probably wouldn't have done in the 30s or 40s. That was usually a DQ. Yeah. But they didn't do a ton on the floor. I'll say that for both the Brock-Cody match and that match. Mm-hmm. They didn't do a lot on the the, the floor. Right. Um, but, I mean, it was hard hitting. Uh, Drew McIntyre's chest was bleeding from the, the chops. Oh, yeah. Really? And that was, that was shades of Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair from yeah. the 80s. Those guys chopped skin and, off each other's And Gunther's... Chest. Gunther's chest was all, was all beat he, he red wasn't too. bleeding he wasn't bleeding but it was beat red it was yeah he was yeah i tell you what those knife edge chops and those oh, those, yeah. those uh open they were laying the stuff in yeah filleting them they <laughs> they could fool you and that's the art of professional wrestling yeah you know it's a work mm-hmm. but they make you go were those guys really mad at each other yeah because that's we're, the beauty of it during that drew McIntyre gunther match I was over here going, ooh. Yeah. Oh. But we watched some of those were like, ooh, I wouldn't want to be taking oh, those. Man, oh, right. That was rough. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but so one of the things I don't like about modern wrestling is there's too much flipping and flopping around. Because it doesn't make sense in the context of the match. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite wrestlers in the late 80s, early 90s was the great Muda. Mm-hmm. And he would do some high-flying stuff. But he also did ground wrestling. It all made sense mm-hmm. in the context of the match. He wasn't running around 50 miles an hour doing moves that would should kill you and yeah. hopping right back up and running into another move because that's what they right. had planned. And mm-hmm. that's exactly so, why I didn't want to watch the Ricochet-Paul Logan match because right. I knew that's what it was going to be. But they're going to do it very, very well. Right, yeah. The problem is you see so many of these guys, and it's one of the issues I've always had with AEW. Yeah. I see that. 
So they they've got some really good wrestlers, mm-hmm. but they've got so many people that are really green and don't know what they're doing, and they're trying to imitate mm-hmm. all this high flying and half killing themselves. They fall yeah. off the ropes. Yeah. So do you remember the episode of The Office where it was uh, Michael, Andy, and uh, Dwight? Parkour. Parkour. Yeah. <laughs> and it was some of the lamest stuff you ever seen and understand it on the truck. And right. Andy's like, parkour, and jumps into the box. And the other two are like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what a lot of those AEW matches <laughs> turn into. Yeah. Parkour. And they jump and they miss the rope and they fall and kill themselves. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> parkour. But I figured right. you'd get that reference. In. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So that's that's one of my biggest issues with it, and yeah. the stuff just comes out of nowhere. That's the other thing I loved about the Drew McIntyre Gunther match. Uh huh. Was they set up the finish? Yeah. So you getting bored? <laughs> they set up the finish. Uh huh. He falls and racks himself on the top rope. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which, if you that happened to you, you would be disabled. And Gunther immediately hits him with the body press, clothesline. Power slam and Penzi. Right. Well, but that built to a finish. If somebody did that, they would be. Dis- oh, he yeah. didn't rack himself, take all four of those moves, and hop up and do one of his moves. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He didn't. He didn't lay down to Claymore after that. So. Yeah. So, I was listening to uh, actually Jim Cornette and uh, Brian Last's review of SummerSlam, uh-huh. and I agreed with a lot of what they were saying. I mm-hmm. disagreed with them strongly though on one match. Uh huh. They did not like Jey Uso and Roman. They thought it went way too long, and they didn't like the match. Oh. Now, I'm going to say it could also be the way I watched it, because they watched it all the way through. Right. So how I watched SummerSlam was I uh, saw the last... Well, I didn't see it, because I just had it on in the background. Mm-hmm. I knew that... Um, was Yeah, Logan Paul won that. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so I knew Logan Paul won. Then Brock and Cody came out, and I actually set my computer down, and I actually watched that. Oh, okay, yeah. And I was, I'm glad I did, because now I have more appreciation for Cody than I did before. You know, I've always, not a big fan of Cody Rhodes, but I've always respected what he's done. Just like, you know, I I don't like Vince McMahon at all, but... You can't take away what he's done. Exactly. He's the greatest promo- promoter of all time. Right. Even though he doesn't want to be known for promoting professional wrestling. That's why he calls it sports entertainment. Yeah. Sports entertainment only exists in Vince McMahon's mind. That is not a real term. It never has been. As a medical facility. Right. <laughs> Nobody freaking leaves the medical facility to go see their sports. Hey, I'm going to get tickets to sports entertainment. Do you right. No. <laughs> Never have, never will. Right. I got so pissed because I was on uh, Peacock, uh-huh. and I was looking at the world-class stuff, uh-huh. and they're like, one of the top brands in sports entertainment for Texas. I'm like, oh. they never call themselves sports entertainment. No, it is not, not sports entertainment. That's not how they ever saw themselves. That's right. It's ridiculous. World-class championship wrestling. wrestling. It's in the name. Yes. But so how I watched it was I had the uh, battle royal on in the background and I uh-huh. saw L.A. Knight win that. Yeah. And then my oldest grandson Solomon came back up and took over the TV as uh-huh. he's want to do. Uh-huh. So I didn't get to see anything else. 
Well, and the next morning, I was going to go up and watch the main event. I only saw one thing before that, and then I skipped to the main event. Yeah. I did want to watch the Bianca Belair, Charlotte Flair, and... Saka. Uh, or Asuka. Asuka match. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, <coughs> Peacock, the best selection in streaming and the absolute worst interface that has ever been created. Uh-huh. So on any other show, you can just ro- roll along the bottom yeah, and it, see where you're at in the show. Exactly. But when they have these premium live events, you cannot do that. Nope. So you just got to kind of guess, plunk around. Mm-hmm. So I kind of figured, oh, it'll probably be about here. I clicked on and I was just at the end of it, right after Asuka blew the mist uh-huh. in Charlotte's face. face. Yeah. And then EO Sky comes out. Mm-hmm. And wins the world title, which is akin to having the Undertaker, The Rock, and Stone Cold Steve Austin having a three-way match, mm-hmm. and then Val Venus comes out and cashes in the Money in the Bank and takes the world champion. Right, exactly, and especially with Bailey there with Eo Sky. Yeah, I'm so Bailey is the bigger star of the two of them. Exactly, I, I don't get it. That's why I said I was like, why didn't Bailey turn on Eo? Right. Because I think that's what they're going if, to allude to anyway. If Bailey had won the title, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But no. I'm like, Io Sky is not a world champion wrestler in the those three's level. Exactly. Not even close. No, is it, I mean, Charlotte. So in disgust, then I went to see. But So I'm watching it the next day, and I'm basically yeah. only watching that match. Yeah. So I enjoyed it. So maybe if I would have struggled through that whole four and a half hours, which I would never do. Me who has got four and a half hours? To sit there and watch terrible wrestling. That's longer than my dialysis treatment. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Who's got time for that? Right. (laughs) So I actually enjoyed it, but I only saw that match at that time. Uh So maybe it was the way that I watched it helped me enjoy it. But I've loved the Bloodline storyline for the last three years. Main Mm -hmm. event, Jey Uso is one of my favorite wrestlers. And Roman is my other, so... yeah. Well, and um, like I said, and I've said before, I think that McIntyre and Roman are the biggest stars and the best wrestlers that are. There's other guys that have the look, mm-hmm. but nobody else puts together everything like Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre does. However, right, I don't know if uh, Drew McIntyre uh, ran into Vince in the hallway, literally ran into him and knocked him over, <laughs> or if. Uh, one of Vince's new girlfriends has got the hots for Drew McIntyre, but Vince seems to have Drew on his short list lately. Yeah, because he can't win a match to save his life. Right, what? and I tell you, uh, you know, and you just, you know, he was so dominant. Yeah, for such a long time, but you know, I'm going to go out and say, and, uh, Drew McIntyre is my favorite wrestler, um, and followed that up probably with, um, and, and this, this now, this is a rumor going around that KO is going to leave. WWE to go to AEW okay. uh, because his contract's going to be up, you know. So and he's going to go play with the, his buddies. I, I guess so. And, gonna, <laughs> and I was like, well, it, it is. I mean, sense. the joke for a while was all friends wrestling. Yeah, because uh-huh. the only way you got in if you were buddies with the EVPs. Uh huh. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the. Uh, but I, I did say, I did call that Jimmy was going to turn on his brother at uh, the pay-per-view. I saw yeah. that coming a mile away. You saw it. I did not see that at all. Mm. 
You know what I saw? I saw Rikishi coming out and sending Solo away, not letting him interfere in the match. Right. But they would that would have been better if he would have sent Solo away and then Jimmy, the older brother, comes out oh, yeah. and messes over Jay. That would have been a little added wrinkle to it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Rikishi told both of them, all eyes are on you tonight. And when he said that, I knew that everybody's going to be paying attention to that match and nobody's going to see the blind side. Yeah. That's how I knew it was coming. Because that's just how ridiculous Vince is. <laughs> well, I think he's got a career-ending back injury right now, and even though he's still the executive chairman, I think Triple H might be back in charge. And well, he's, thank he's, God for that. If and that's he's under investigation. So. That's why I think he had a career-ending back injury. Isn't that isn't that interesting? He gets served with the subpoena on the seventeenth, and on the nineteenth, he has spinal surgery, and he'll be out indefinitely. But yeah. he's still the executive chairman. Yeah, my ass. I'm, I'm, I, I, I hate to break it to him, but, you know, the chickens are coming home to roost. Yes, they, they are. Uh-huh. He should have never come back. Uh-uh. His actions are deplorable, and he would never have been able to come back if he was not the majority owner of that company. Oh, absolutely. But there are other forces in the world that can hold somebody accountable, and mm-hmm. he should have stayed retired. Stephanie tried to tell him, and let me tell you, the company was in a lot better hands when yeah. Stephanie was the president mm-hmm. and Triple H was the head of creative. I hate to break it to everybody. Yeah. Well, you notice that uh, these those two have really kind of stayed off TV lately too, and they've yeah. been sticking more to making it, trying to make it a better product. Because yeah. when Vince was out for a while, it was a lot better. It was a lot better. Yes, I'm not going to say it was perfect, by any no, means, but it was a no. lot better. I wouldn't even say it was really good. I would just say it's better. Yeah. That's what I thought too, Connor. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of meh when you watch that. But that was our episode, I think, for this week. I, w- I was w- a little worried about the three-man booth, but I think we're going to get there. Oh yeah. Well, I tell you what. Once we get uh, you know the uh, the finishing touches on the million dollar studio here. Oh yeah, this is well, your first time in the million dollar studio. You missed the first episode. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's bigger than the last one somehow. And I do have to say, <laughs> yeah. this is the most comfortable chair I've oh. had in a while. I was going to no. say, um, when we get uh, when we when we finish construction on the, the studio here, I'll actually have a, a proper chair for you to sit oh. <laughs> instead of that kitchen chair. Well, whatever works. <laughs> 220, 221, whatever it takes. That's right. So on the next episode, I think I'm going to talk about the early career of one of wrestling's mm-hmm. biggest stars. There's a lot of misinformation out there when it comes to his early career. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be the topic. Unless I don't have time to uh, research it as much as I'd like in the next week. So then if that happens, we'll have to wing it again. We're wingers from way back. That's right. And with that, I think that that's the best close we could possibly have. So (laughs) say goodbye, everybody. See you next, next time, guys. Say bye, Connor. Bye.